we were privy the opportunity to have uh, Tom Short um, as a guest last week, and um, he shared a great message that I think was very encouraging and challenging in a lot of ways. Um, if you weren't here, quick synopsis is he took a look at um, truth and opinion, specifically as it pertains to Jesus and Christianity as compared to other religions. And he focused on five truth claims that we see in scripture that are made about Jesus and Christianity that does set Christ apart from any other religion. And if you know anything about um, Tom and his ministry, we, you know that he travels all around all campuses in the U.S., college campuses in the U.S., engaging hundreds of college students with the gospel um, annually. Um, and it's a very, very cool ministry, right? And I think when we hear about ministries like that, when we hear about people like Tom, when we hear about people that are gifted and, and are faithful with evangelizing, going up and initiating people with the gospel, uh, we got many of those here in this congregation. And I'm not going to start to name any because I'd be afraid I'd forget some and not give them the credit that, they, that, uh, that is due. When we hear about these people, when we hear about these ministries, I think oftentimes if you're anything like me, we can begin to think that that's not for me, that I'm not gifted for it. And I think, I know I've, I've had these words spoken to me, and I know that I've spoken these same words to other people as it pertains to um, kingdom engagement, if that makes sense, and that being that I could never do that. Again, whether it's we don't feel like we have the skill set, the giftings, we feel completely unconfident, there's fear that has overtaken us, um, we think it's too much, right? I'm sure you have said these words. I know I have said these words. I'm sure you've heard these words, that there's no way that I could ever do that. And can I, can I encourage us to stop saying that? Let us never say that again, specifically as it pertains to kingdom work, engaging in the work that Christ calls us to. And here's why. When that is spoken to you or when you speak it to someone else, I think it's, it's offensive. And I think it's offensive because it diminishes that person's faithfulness and obedience to what it is that the Lord's impressed upon their heart. I think it is also offensive to God because we know that he uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. We know that in our weakness, we find his strength. And when we say that I, I could never do that, or when someone says it to you, it diminishes what it is that the Lord can do in you and through you. And I want us to be challenged, to allow me to challenge us tonight with what it could look like for us to engage people with the spoken gospel. Um, if you're anything like me, I shy away from it way too much. Um, I let fear grip me. I make a lot of excuses. Um, but I've also noticed that when I do engage with the spoken gospel, with others with the spoken gospel, I have found that um, my gospel is not the lemonade it needs to be. And what I mean by that is I think there are two sides to the gospel that we should focus, that we should highlight a lot. And if you're anything like me, my lemonade looks way more like Kool-Aid. And what I mean by that is it's way too sweet. If you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, praise the Lord for that restaurant, right? We know that they have some phenomenal lemonade. And it's got this incredible balance of the bitterness of the lemon, but the sweetness of the sugar. 
And again, I have found when I engage people with the gospel, it's way too sweet. And I'm not saying that the gospel is not sweet. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying there are two sides that we should focus on. There is the bitter side of the gospel, the message of the gospel, that is all about our depravity, our sin, that we have fallen short, that we cannot live up to God's standards. And I think we have shied too much from sharing that part of the gospel. The gospel is incomplete without that. Just like lemonade is just Kool-Aid if you get rid of the lemons. But we also have to have the sugar. It needs to be seasoned with a ton of sugar. It needs to be good. It needs to be about grace. It needs to be about the atonement of our sins that can only come through the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And so I pray that my encouragement for us all, for myself included, is that we walk out of here thinking about how our gospel message, the message that we speak about the gospel, as we engage people with the gospel, looks a little bit more like lemonade and not just Kool-Aid. Amen to that. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you work powerfully in our hearts and our minds tonight. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We absolutely know and we claim that you're here. So I pray that you would open up our ears and our eyes, our hearts and our minds to what it is that you want to say. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We praise your name for it. And may we be bold ambassadors in your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, our foundation verse that we're going to build off of tonight is Matthew 5, 17. I'm sure we're familiar with this verse. We've heard it before, most if not all where it says, do not, Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill them. But allow me to first, allow us to start here, right? It's really important that we start here in Romans 1. So I encourage you tonight, um, tonight, my, my, one of my hopes and one of my goals is to, um, through really through Matthew 5, 17, for us to be equipped even more so that we feel empowered to engage people with the spoken message of the gospel. And tonight, I'm going to dive into a, quite a bit of scripture. And so I encourage you, if you'd like, to pull out your phones, pull out a notepad, and write some of these verses down, because it will help you engage people with the gospel as it pertains more to the lemon side of the lemonade, if that makes sense. But let's start here in Romans 1. Verses 18, 20, we're going to look at 25a and 28a as well. So the Apostle Paul says these words in Romans 1, again, 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, take note of this, suppress the truth by their wickedness. Let us get that. We suppress the truth by our wickedness. Since, that, since what may be known about God is plain to them, it's plain to us, because God has made it plain to them. And here's how he did. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 
Everyone is without excuse knowing that there is a God and understanding his characteristics. This is what it says in Romans 1. But we have suppressed that truth. Because of creation, creation alone, we are able to discern that there is a God that has divine and eternal, awesome, good, and holy characters, characteristics. But we have suppressed that by our wickedness. It goes on to explain what that wickedness looks like in the re- in rest of Romans 1. I'm sure, again, most are familiar with that. But essentially, we have, again, stifled and suppressed the truth by the pursuit of our own self-centered lusts, our ambitions, and gratifications, ultimately our sin. And if you, as you go through that list, um, as you go through that in the rest of Romans 1, you find two other verses that emphasize what we see in those three verses that we just read. Where in verse 25a, it says, again, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So we all have exchanged this truth, this understanding of who God is for a lie. And that lie has been built upon this pursuit, again, of our own self-centeredness. And what it is that we think can be our God and can bring our satisfaction Then we see this again, in a sense, the same point in verse 28. It says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, it was there, but it was lost because of our wickedness, because of our pursuit of self-centered gratification and lusts. Let's jump ahead to Romans 5. Or sorry, Romans 2, we're going, to read it. we're going to look at verses 5 through 16. It says here, but because of your stubbornness, and check this out, your un, this is important, your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment, this is what we deserve, we have fallen short, we deserve the judgment of God, will be revealed. Verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, are, who by persistence and doing good see glory, honor, and immortality, he will, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and, again, reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Then check this out. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law, check this out, we can't forget this, are written on their hearts, their consciousness also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. The Jews received the law, the Ten Commandments, the Levitical law. 
But what, what Paul is saying here, that the Gentiles, those that did not receive it, are, they're not, they don't have an excuse. He's saying that the law is written on their hearts. And so we are aware of our sinfulness. We are aware that we are sinners, right? We are aware of what is morally right. But again, we have suppressed the truth because of our wickedness, our pursuit of self-centered ambitions and lusts and gratifications. And I, this analogy came to mind as I was thinking about this. <clears throat> the world out there is, those who have not put their faith in Christ, this is where they are at. Their ultimate sin, so to speak, is that they have suppressed the truth. It's like them holding an inflated ball underwater. Have you ever tried to do that? It wants to pop up, but you're constantly holding it down. We have suppressed the truth. We do not want it in our way. We, again, we want to pursue our own, again, essentially wickedness. But we are aware of the law. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you've heard the law or you have not, you are aware However, however, the law was still given, right? And why? That's my question, why? Let's take a look. Paul explains this later in Romans 5. Romans 5, 20. We're also going to look at Romans 7. I love how the NLT puts it. Romans 5, 20. Through 21, Paul says this, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. It's a reminder. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You have fallen short. You cannot attain perfection. I'm here giving you the law for this purpose, to know that you are a sinner. You deserve judgment. But as people sin more and more, this is the beauty of it. God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. So just as sin ruled, and as people, you could even put, as became more aware of sin, people, um, the sin ruled over the people and brought them to death. But now God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God, and praise the Lord for this, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ. Christ our Lord, praise the Lord for that. So there's an awareness of our need of a saving grace and kindness that can only come from the Savior, not our own works. There's nothing we can do. It can only come through the cross of Christ, the saving grace and kindness of our Savior. Let's take a look at where this originally began because I want to drive this point home, the purpose of the law. We're going to jump all the way back to Deuteronomy, okay? We're going to take a look at Deuteronomy 6. And so this isn't just the purpose of the law that we see in, in the New Testament. It's not like it changed came the New Testament. The purpose of the law is still seen when it was originally given, and if, just a little backdrop, Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments are given. We jump into Deuteronomy 6, we see the great commandment is given. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then this is interesting. Check this out. I, this is significant. In Deuteronomy 6.20, it says these words. It says, in the future, when your sons ask you, 
hey, what is the meaning of the stipulation? So they just went through the Ten Commandments. They just went through the law. We got the great commandment, right? So when, what is the meaning of these stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. Check this out. So tell your son, tell your daughter these things. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, representing that there was, you were in bondage. You were in bondage, right? You were slave. You were enslaved by the Egyptians. You were in, in, in bondage, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So all of these laws are given, and when the, your children ask you, hey, why, what's up with these laws? Why do you teach them to you? The children are saying, hey, I want you to remind them of this this representation of what we saw with our people years ago, that they were in bondage, they were in slavery, and only released by God's grace, nothing that they did, right? Let's go on. Verse 22, before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and the whole household. Verse 23, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. All this is a representation of what is to come through Christ. It's, 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 so we know this. Every year from there on out, when they were released from bondage, Passover was celebrated every single year. And it was a reminder that the judgment of God passed over them, right? The grace of God covered, and they celebrated the freedom that can only come through God not by works, so that no one can boast. So again, the law was given. They're asking, hey, so why, why, should, we, why should we teach these? You know, what, what do we tell our kids when they ask about the law? I want you to remind them of this. What happened to us and the representation that comes from that? And thousands of years later, when Christ is nailed to the cross, the Passover becomes so real to them because they realize this is the only lamb that can truly atone for our sins. It's not the land that we take in and shed its blood and put on our doorpost to remind, you know, that it doesn't do that. Those sacrifices don't do it. It's only the sacrifice of, of Christ. And so isn't it interesting that when they ask, hey, the children ask, hey, what, what's up with these laws? They're saying, I want you to remind you of this, that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Check this out. I love how um, Matthew Henry communicates this passage here. He's this old dead guy that is a great theologian and teacher and, and whatnot. Check this out. He puts it way more eloquently than I could. Moses gives us a charge to keep God's commandments. Negligence will ruin us, but we cannot be saved without diligence. It is our interest as well as our duty to be religious it will be our life. Godliness has the promise of the continuance and comfort of the life that, it, that now is, as far as it is for God's glory. It will be our righteousness. However, it is only through the mediator, so Jesus Christ, that we can be righteous before God. The knowledge, check this out, the knowledge of the spirituality and excellency of the holy law of God is suited to show us as sinful man his need of a savior. And to prepare his heart to welcome this free gift of salvation. The, check this out. The gospel honors the law. Not only in the perfect obedience of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, but in that it, it, is, it is a plan for bringing back. This is the purpose again. 
apostate rebels and enemies by repentance, faith, forgiveness, and renewing grace to love God above all things, even in this world and in the world above, to love him perfectly, even as angels love him. So we see the purpose of the law all the way from Deuteronomy when it first began all the way through the New Testament. And we cannot ignore that as Christ followers. And here's my challenge to us all, myself included. I need it more than most. We need to fill that ball up with so much air that it's impossible for that person to keep it down. People are suppressing the truth. We need to reveal the whole truth to them. We cannot change their hearts, but we have the opportunity to be obedient with the spoken message of the gospel, both the lemons and the sugar. But we need to inflate that ball so much that it is impossible for that person to hold it down to where they are confronted with the truth. Now they have this opportunity to say, man, I realize, yes, I am a sinner. Is there a God out there? Can he save me? And allow them to wrestle with that. Let us not eliminate the whole picture of the gospel. Let us be about the law as well. Let us, this sounds crazy because we've been tainted by those street preachers on the corner holding up those judgment signs, but let us be about sin and judgment as well. You see it throughout scripture. Grace is not a sweet if it, was, if it was not for the judgment that we deserve. So allow us to share both. Again, let's go back to Matthew. So we're going back to our foundation verse in Matthew 5, 17. Again, Jesus says, hey, man, I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. I want to highlight real fast the, the, the significance of the, the prophet part because I think it emphasizes the law part, if that makes sense. So he came to fulfill all the prophecies that were spoken about him in the Old Testament. He came to fulfill that, right? And we know if you do research, if you were to just Google it and you do some research yourself, you know that there's 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled by Christ. Isn't that unbelievable? I, the, some mathematician came up with, uh, they said that if, only, if just eight prophecies were, uh, were fulfilled, um, that would be a one in a one plus 17 zero chance of it happening. Talk about evidence, right? I mean, these, the, 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 the fulfillment of these, the, the, these prophecies are, 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 are endless. It's everything from where he was born, born to a virgin, that how he would go on trial, how he would die on a cross, his bones would not be broken, that Judas would betray him, that, he'd be, that he would buy a field, and the field was going to be called a field of blood. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. We see them time and time again. And this is, a, this is a, a important because the fulfillment of the prophecies of Christ when he came to earth validates him pushing the law and its purpose. It validates it. It highlights it. It gives him permission to do so. Coupled with that, he was perfect, that he accomplished all the, all the written laws. He is a savior. He lived the perfect life. And again, that gospel honors the law. We need to realize that. But let's go to Matthew 5. Uh, again, we're Matthew 5, 17. We're going to read. <clears throat> um, yeah, 17. We're going to look at some verses kind of through 20 and then some other uh, parts of Matthew 5. So again, he did not come. To, I have not come to abolish the law. 
or I love how the NLT puts it, hey, don't misunderstand why I've come. I've come to, again, to fulfill the law. Again, let us, let, let us be reminded of the purpose of the law, to realize that we are a sinner in need of a savior, that we cannot do it on our own. You have fallen short, I have fallen short, I deserve the judgment that Jesus took on our behalf, right? And you see this, that, that these following verses validate that this is what it is that he's trying to speak, his purpose in Matthew 5, 17. Just... You just read the next couple verses, you see the extremity of where he goes with his challenge, if that makes sense. Even where he says in verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a high standard he's calling people to, that he knows that we cannot live up to. Then check out, he goes through the law. This is what he does. He says, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it and its purpose to help you realize that you suck that you can't do it on your own, that you're a sinner, that you deserve judgment. Check this out. He goes into murder, verse 21. It says, you have heard that it was said. So we know the law. You have heard this. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject, a better way of putting it, to that judgment. So the same judgment you deserve if you were to murder someone. So again, if you hold hatred in your heart, you have murdered someone. So Christ didn't care about the outward appearance of us or our actions. He cared more about the condition of our heart. The depth of the law um, was way greater than what we saw in the Old Testament. He heightened it. He was the greatest rabbi out there. He didn't just push the law. He elevated it. He deepened it. He cared more about the heart. We see this in adu- for the adultery piece, verse 27. Again, you have heard that it was said. You know the law. You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. He elevated it. He cared more about the condition of your heart and my heart. We cannot live up to that. Tomorrow I will fail at that. I have fallen short. We all have. The list goes on. Divorce oaths, eye for an eye, then check this out. We know these verses at the end of Matthew 5, where Jesus says again, you have heard that it was said. Essentially, he drops the great commandment on them. You've heard that it was said, hey, love your neighbor, right? But he goes on and says, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. And he goes on to say, even tax collectors and pagans can love those who love them. That is easy. I want you to love those that hate you and I pray for those that persecute you. And then check this out. It culminates to this, to push the purpose of the law, to help us realize that you suck and I suck. Be perfect, therefore, as I am perfect. We know we cannot do that. And you're foolish to think if you can He pushes the purpose of the law. We cannot downplay the significance of what we see as a theme in Scripture, as a theme of what Christ does here. Check this out. Rewind. Jesus, Matthew 4, 17. So Jesus has been preaching a little bit. Here it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Urgency. You're a sinner. I want you to know that. You're depraved. 
You're on this path of wickedness. Repent, repent, repent. You're a sinner. Put faith and trust in me alone. Let's see how Jesus did this even more so. We're going to close out with this passage. Again, I hope these, man, this is a, these, these, I think these verses, this tool, so to speak, can be really advantageous to use with those that are on the fence, those that consider them theists as opposed to atheists, if that makes sense. It lends itself a little bit more to that for what it's worth. I think this is a phenomenal passage to use, to emphasize what Jesus did here to, again, not to abolish, but to fulfill the purpose of the law. Let's check out Mark 10. Mark 10, Matthew 19. This is, one of, this is my favorite passage in Scripture. Verses 13 through 31. Absolutely love this. So people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Children are just like property, right? So, hey, you don't, you don't deserve this time with Jesus. That's how they're seen, right? So when Jesus saw this, he was, like, he was indignant. He was pissed off. He was pissed off. And he said to him, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, so childlike faith, put, my, put your faith in me that my grace, that the atonement of my blood will cover your sins. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. There's a crowd that has been watching this. And so as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. He just witnessed what just took place. He said, let the children come. He was indignant that the disciples did not let them come to him, right? And he's saying, childlike faith, right? So this dude ran up to him. He fell on his knees. He's this rich dude. And he says, good teacher. And this is significant to know that in any rabbinic writings, any writings about a rabbi or writings done by a rabbi, there's never been a rabbi that's been described as good. And in this, it means perfect. I think this dude, this rich dude has an acknowledgement of who Jesus is at some level. There's a head knowledge of who this dude is, that he's someone special. Is he the Messiah? Is he not? I'm not sure, but he recognized something special about this Jesus. And he says, what must I do to, to, to inherit eternal life. Again, he just saw these little children, those that are viewed like property, and it says be blessed by Jesus. And he's like, dude, what must I do? Have I done something wrong? And he says, Jesus says, hey, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And check this out. The answer should be John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm this son, right? You believe in me. You'll have eternal life. That should be the answer, right? That's what we do in VBS. But he hits them with the law. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Dude, don't steal. False testimony. Defraud. Honor your father and mother. So he goes through parts of the law. He hits them with that. He did not come to abolish the law. He came... Jesus came to fulfill it and its purposes. And he executed it by the way that he taught and engaged with people to help them realize, you suck, you're a sinner, you deserve judgment. You need to realize this. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him 
and loved him. One thing you lack, said with great sarcasm. Dude, just one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. A significant statement that is said by him. When rabbis told the disciples, or those that he invite, they invited into discipleship, when, they said, when he, the rabbi said this, what they were communicating is not just, hey, you can come follow me. You can learn what I know, but I believe that you can be like me. Isn't that cool? And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad. So Jesus didn't run. He didn't run up to him. He, the dude was walking away. He didn't go chase him down, right? He didn't go chase him down and say, hey, dude, it's me, John 3, 16, dude. He wanted the law to sit heavy upon his heart. He wanted him to realize that he needs a savior. Disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. In a sense, he's saying it's impossible. And here he's also destroying this belief that if you're rich, you have great favor with God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible with God. Emphasizing again, you can't do it on your own. You, you have this grace that I freely give to me. Put your faith in me. That's, that's the way you receive salvation. Then, then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, feels for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, feels along with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Not only... Does Jesus want us to have salvation? This is significant to know. He wants us to be a disciple of him. He just doesn't want believers. He wants followers. And this is what he invites us into. And praise the Lord for that. Grace upon grace upon grace abounds. Grace upon grace abounds. And we need to realize this. May we be people of the spoken message of the gospel. May we have the lemonade and not just the Kool-Aid. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you show us. We thank you for the grace that is given abundantly. You lavish it upon us. Lord, I pray that we would be bold, that we would be courageous, that we would be people of the spoken message of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be unashamed. Lord, I pray that we would be compelled by your love. Lord, may we understand the significance and purpose of the law. But Lord, I pray that we would also understand and realize the significance of the cross. Lord, may we speak that message boldly. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.